0: action
1: fanatics welcome to episode 40 of the bulletproof podcast i'm your host chris the brain joining me chad cruz and chad i know you had a prediction way back when about episode 40
2: I did. I don't remember if it was the first episode or the second episode, but somewhere in the early days of the Bulletproof podcast, I remember saying that episode 40 was going to be the absolute greatest podcast ever recorded.
1: Well, it may very well be a super podcast because we are going to be talking superhero action. Now, I do want to point out that if you listened to, the, to us last time, we had uh, told you that this one was going to be Judgment Night. Uh, with our our good friend RTG, Uh, but due to a scheduling conflict, that could not happen. We will be recording that one next. So we needed a hero ourselves. So we called in Ryan Campbell in the guest chair to talk superhero action. Ryan, welcome back to the Bulletproof Podcast.
0: That's right. This is my wheelhouse as I kind of end up doing most of the reviews for the superhero stuff. And my superpower tonight is that I am super available.
1: Super available, and we appreciate that. But, Chad, let's go back for a moment, if we may, to our last episode. The King of the Kickboxers. We got a lot of great feedback on that one. Uh, I enjoyed it. It was fun. Uh, And uh, we talked Keith Cook, obviously. He plays Master Prong in The King of the Kickboxers. And you also mentioned Scott Atkins and the Art of Action during that podcast. Well, those two things are coming together like chocolate and peanut butter. It's going to be perfect. Because Keith Cook will be on the May 11th episode of the art of action with Scott Adkins.
2: Call me Nostradamus Cruz from now on. Um, I don't know if I kind of made that. I put that out in the world, made it happen, but it's happening now. So I'm taking credit for it.
1: I've called you dumbass Cruz
2: before. I wait. uh, That's not what I said.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. So yeah. uh, Same day that this drops everywhere. You get your favorite podcast. Scott Adkins, The Art of Action with Keith Cook, drops on May the 11th. But right now, let's get into it, because this is going to be possibly a controversial subject for some of our diehard action fans, because there's a feeling out there. uh, you, you, You think about that old song, Video Killed the Radio Star. There are people out there right now who think superheroes have killed action heroes, and the finger is pointed firmly at the top dog of the superhero genre, Marvel studios. And they, people want Marvel studios gone. They want it abolished, destroyed off the face of the earth. Ryan Campbell, I have to believe you have a differing view.
0: Um, I mean, I, I can see where that comes from. Uh, it doesn't help that Disney owns Marvel and kind of deal with the same thing with some of the staunch, you know, star Wars fans that despise Disney and everything that Disney does. But, I mean, you know, I'm I'm someone that doesn't really enjoy conflict in a way. I think that everything can coexist. I think you can have both. I think that action has definitely found a voice, uh, both in some mainstream movies. I mean, we just had Mortal Kombat last week that was really favorable. Um, but also in the, in the kind of VOD, on-demand, I mean, they've created this awesome niche space of where these action people can be. And, and you know, everybody should get their bread, so if they want to cash in and, and clean up in a big Marvel movie and, you know, more power to them.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that's the thing for me. It, like I, I have felt that superhero fatigue. There is so much content out there, but you know, I just pick and choose which ones I watch then. And, it, you know, I don't uh, wish Marvel to go away. Cause I know there's a lot of people who obviously love those movies. They make a ton of money. So that's proof of that. Uh, but Chad Cruz, I had a, a thought
2: you know, oh wow. Another
1: one? Yeah, more than one in a day. Uh it, it, this one's for you because you have mentioned this uh before. Uh The Rock. Yes. Could the Rock use his reported biggest movie star in the world title and bring that action hero back like, you know, like his version of a Rocky or a a Rambo or a terminal like, like his own franchise, not piggybacking off of something or, or, you know, part of the superhero thing is the rock to blame for uh, these action heroes being gone is basically what I'm asking
2: you. Wow. You took a while to get to that. Um, I don't know. I don't think the rock is to blame. I mean, I mean, these movies are making so much stinking money and it's, if you have good effects, anybody can be a superhero in a film. Uh, it doesn't take much so i i I get you know playing devil's advocate here like i don't want marvel to go away i don't want you know dc and warner brothers or whoever to go away i want them to continue to make these films i don't watch them all like you brain i i kind of pick and choose Um, but i could see why somebody who who has uh, a fledgling career as an action star might look at these movies and say hey you're 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 giving all these like action movie roles to guys like Chris Pratt or Chris Pine or Chris Hemsworth or anyone named Chris, uh, except for you, Chris Brain. Thank Um, you. But they're giving all these roles to these guys because they think they're these massive stars, but all they've ever really made money in is in these massive billion dollar projects. Uh, Like I'm thinking Jeremy Renner, right? Jeremy Renner is getting these starring roles in films when he's just like a, a guy with a bow and arrow in the Avengers. Yes, that is true. Is, should he be the, Should he headlining any action film? Hurt Locker was cool, but I mean, that role could have gone to any number of other action stars. So I can see why they would complain. But at the same time, every one of these guys is throwing their name in the hat to try to get a role. You think it? You know, Scott Atkins isn't trying to become Gambit or whoever the hell. Like right. they're all hey, trying to get in that. Hey, Scott Atkins was in Doctor Strange. I didn't see that one.
1: He was. <laughs> and I think, you know, Scott Atkins, that's a great name to bring up because there's a guy who never has had a, a chance to to get it that theatrical release movie. He's been always pretty much straight to VO. I mean, he probably had yeah. limited release, but I mean you think back to in the 90s, I mean Jeff Speakman, yeah, perfect weapon. I mean, that was in the theaters. Like they yeah. they had faith enough in him to put that in theaters. You don't have that anymore. And I think maybe that's where people get a little bitter because it's guys like a a Scott Atkins who, you know, yeah, maybe it's, it's certainly not going to be in a top 10 movie, but it could do well and it could make money. I I think maybe that's where some of that hatred comes from.
0: Here's, here's the thing to me. It's kind of like indie wrestlers who bash the WWE, um, you know, for being kind of the Mickey mouse of, of wrestling and that, but there's so much opportunity. I mean, they're going to keep making these movies, and now with Disney Plus, they've got series. They're and you know they just retired so many of their actors from the first kind of phase uh, or first leg of phases. Um, I mean, there there is opportunities to get in one of these movies, and if you really make your mark before you know it, you could have your own spinoff on Disney Plus. I mean, who thought that you know Scarlet Witch and Vision would have their own show or that you know, the winter soldier Hawkeye getting his own show on Disney plus there's, and even and all of those shows, aren't just those characters, they introduce new people. And there's this kind of weird, like, again, like kind of like people that like indie wrestling, there's this fandom part of it that people love to latch onto the side characters in these films, or, or they try to find the one that's the least underdeveloped or the character that gets the least amount of, of love. And they kind of latch onto that and really, really, you know, get behind that character. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of opportunity for, for some of these guys to, to kind of get in that world and, and be successful. Um, I think maybe some of that resentment, though, is, is, is like I said, very similar to kind of how some indie guys look at WWE.
2: Yeah, and if we circle back to The Rock, he is an action star. I don't know if I'd call him the greatest action star. Here we go again. But he is an action star. But he he hasn't done a superhero movie yet, am I right? Uh, he's supposed to be Black Adam. Black he's Adam. Kind of sitting out there for forever. Yeah, the 10 years in production, but it's coming. So so he I don't think that he is the one to kind of open the door for all these other action guys because I don't see The Rock as an action guy. I see The Rock as an actor uh, who has done as many probably tooth fairies as he has uh, faster or whatever. You know what I mean?
1: Right. And well, and I think the reason I brought The Rock up and, and obviously, you know, he's just he's so he's a larger than life guy. So he's right. like the Arnold and the Stallones of the past who had those big major blockbuster action movies that people now miss because they have they're not around anymore. You you know, they're lower budget, medium budget movies like like a John Wick. W- very popular. Obviously, they're, they're still making them. There's going to be a potential spin-off series of it, you know. Those movies have done well taken the taken movies did well. Um, The expendables did well, but you know, the rock I think is to me, the one guy who maybe if he had his own version again of, of uh, commando or Cobra or something like that, and that made a ton of money, then would that give all these other guys an opportunity? Because again, Hollywood goes where the money's at. And if one thing is successful, they will try to copy that formula would that happen or are you saying it's impossible and the rock you just you hate him chad
2: i don't hate him i mean he is larger in life he seems like a super guy i mean he he he's out there and i mean i can't even turn the tv on without seeing his face um but he's commercials and tequila and freaking game shows and all kinds of shit um he's everywhere but i just don't see him as like this like big action guy. I mean, he, to me, he's, he can do comedy. He can do like the, the kids movie, the family friendly movies. Uh, He can do a little bit of drama, but I just don't see him as, as an action guy. He doesn't have that label to me, Um, but he has done a lot for the action community. He's done a lot for other wrestlers moving into action. I don't know if Dave Batista. I don't know if John Cena, I don't know if any of these guys are there without the rock. Right. Well,
0: I was going to bring up, but he says he's someone who's kind of been able to do both.
2: I mean, right, he's in that Marvel true.
0: world, and he, he's still doing VOD movies or, you know, kind of mid-tier action movies that he's like the build character in. So, I mean, he's been able to to kind of walk both worlds. Um, Cena, I don't know. I He's kind of with the whole fast stuff. He's probably going to bypass that whole thing and go straight into bigger well, stuff. Well, he's in,
1: he's in the DC, the uh, Suicide Squad. Suicide
0: right? Squad, yeah. Right, yeah. But I, and again own TV
2: something show? What TV show? Uh the peacemaker or something like that. He's got his own show oh, coming now.
0: Oh, did not know that. But um I, I, I think it's definitely something and again the to blame COVID on, but there was kind of a resurgence right before COVID happened of people wanting their rated R like hard-edged movie theater experience there and ironically some of it became a thing because of deadpool and some of the stuff that ryan reynolds was doing. of like oh yeah we kind of miss seeing gore and hearing f bombs and and you know stuff like that and there you saw a little bit of it start to come back and then covid kind of shut down movie theaters altogether. but maybe you know again mortal kombat last week which got seemed universally praised and it was people on twitter loved it and it was you know particularly gruesome rated r so, you know, who knows what's going to happen when, when if, whatever, theaters come out and movies start coming out in theaters again. Um, but it felt like there was a, a little bit of a renaissance coming of, and I think John Wick played part of that too, of the kind of rated R, you know, movie theater experience coming back.
1: Well, right? even, and Nobody, that came out a couple, you know, what, about a month ago? I mean, that kind of took everybody by surprise. I mean, Bob Odenkirk as an action star, but, you know, that... There's a there's definitely a, a market for that.
0: I mean, Liam Neeson did it with Taken. I mean, right. Taken kind of right. saw a resurgence of action movies, and who would have thought Liam Neeson was going to spearhead that?
2: Yeah, and if you think about, you know, the the I don't know the script that Marvel has to work off of, as far as like all these they've got, you know decades and decades were the comics to look at. They also have all these different lines that they had over the years. So they could, you know, they could do a Marvel max or whatever, and they could do these rated R films. They could do the Punisher and daredevil or whatever the hell they wanted to do. And they could make them rated R for slightly older audiences and they could put them on the Disney plus channel. I'm, I didn't, I feel like they've announced that that new
0: blade movie that's going to be coming out was going to be R. I, I I may be wrong yeah, about that. I I mean, I'll if it's not, it,
2: but that would be concerning.
0: I believe. I thought the day they confirmed that. And I'm pretty sure they said Deadpool three will be our
2: the well, But now the question, so is uh, is Morbius? That's also through Mar- Marvel, right?
0: Uh, well, that's in, it's in that Sony realm. That's kind of okay. iffy. Where where gotcha. you know, it, it literally by the week, some new agreement between them about how they're going to share and deal with all that stuff is different. But that's technically a Sony okay. Marvel kind of side.
1: All right. Well, you know, I think we've just solved the world's problems with this conversation or maybe not. Sure. Uh, but None let's of them. yeah, one of the world's problems. But yeah, it's it's you know definitely something to keep our eye on because again, yeah, when covid goes away and when things start getting back to normal and theaters uh, are open and at full capacity one day, you know, it will be interesting to see uh what type of big time movies are out there. Um just, we've been kind of in a a holding pattern for the most of the past year. So Interesting to see what's coming, but let's take a look back now, gentlemen, at some of our favorite superhero movies from over the years. Uh, I will kick things off because I'm going to pick the very first superhero movie there ever was 1978 Superman, an absolute all time favorite of mine. Um, You know, at that point I was four years old when this thing came out, we had superhero cartoons. We had superheroes on TV but we did not have a, a movie like this. And to see Superman in living color on a huge screen flying in the air was absolutely amazing. And it just, it, it, it will have a spot in my heart. I think until the day I die.
0: And it had probably one of the best movie taglines with the, you'll believe a man can fly, uh, going into the movie. I think that was perfect.
2: Right. The music, uh, the effects, you know, for the time, were amazing. Christopher Reeves, so such a like perfect casting, yeah, uh, for the role of, of both Superman and Clark Kent. Like, it just seemed like uh, everything was kind of was done well in that movie. And Richard Donner is a great director, and he, I, f- I felt like he really had a love for the character, whether he did or not, I, I have no idea, but it, it felt like he did. And the movie has like a ton of heart, so you can watch it with your kids, you can watch it with your grandparents, you can watch it with it. a homeless guy lives down the street, whichever, whatever one you want.
0: And you it was said, also back at, it was also back
2: at a time when DC wasn't afraid to let Superman be
0: Superman. I, I think, I don't know if it's maybe that some of the, like some of the kids with Superman grew up or the world just became a kind of more cynical, darker place and looked at Superman as being, you know, golden boy. But, uh, you know, he's allowed to just be Superman. They didn't have to gritty him up. They didn't have to, you know, right. dumb his power level down or anything like that. He's just able to be Superman.
1: Yeah. And you said it, Chad. Uh, Christopher Reeve, the thing with him is he is great as Superman and as Clark Kent. I don't think anyone else has been able to capture that. I think. What's, he,
2: what's the opposite of Christopher Reeve? I don't know. Christopher Walken. <laughs>
1: Oh, uh, I guess Christopher living at this point would be. Also, uh, <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about that. I guess horrible, horrible, but yeah. So Superman, that's, little- I mean, you think about it, the weird thing about the, the Superman movie and, and I would throw Superman two in there cause the two go in, you know, hand in hand. Uh, I mean, basically they set up Superman two in the first five minutes of Superman one. Right. I don't think any movie has ever done that. Before or since, but I mean, Superman came out in the middle of December of 1978. It was number nine for the year. Wow. So in two weeks, and then the next year, 1979, it was the number one movie of the year. Um, Superman 2, number one movie, 1981. The odd thing about this is, I mean, obviously this is the first one. This is the Superman started it all. It was basically the blueprint for a superhero movie. But we didn't really get any kind of follow-up to it. I mean, you had Swamp Thing, which was not even – I mean, that was like a rated R movie, not even geared towards the same audience that Superman was. Marvel's first movie was freaking Howard the Duck. (laughs) I mean, it's just – it's odd that, you know, others didn't capitalize on this obviously huge success that was Superman.
0: I I would say at that time in in our comic history, there wasn't a hero – that was as you know synonymous or as world renowned or known as superman i mean marvel really arguably didn't even become the marvel we know now till the 90s is really when it just took off and and kind of surpassed dc as being the leading comic creator uh so i, I you know I, I mean i guess batman was a thing but he did what people thought of as batman then when in the 70s late 70s compared to what they think of batman now is completely different I just don't think that there was a hero on Superman's level that anybody looked at as being marketable as something that could, that could even come near that. I mean, when you started the genre with the top tier, you know, one, I, I, I just don't know if, and the movie cost a lot to make at the time and it was pretty, you know, cutting edge for the way it effects. I just don't think anybody else thought they could, you know, come close to that or anybody was, was a bankable enough superhero.
2: I think it owes a lot to, uh, you know, the serials of the time too. You know, you think about like flash Gordon, uh, before it, and then you know, in the '60s, you had Batman and Green Hornet series, um, and and they kind of they had a different flavor. Those two, you know, Batman was more campy and silly, whereas Green Hornet was more serious. But they introduced characters and the idea that people could wear costumes. So I, I felt like when Superman came out in the late '70s, it, it you could look at it in a serious manner, and it wasn't like it wasn't like you're watching, you know, Batman 66 or the like Batman and Robin running down the street being goofy. You know what I mean? Like right. it, it felt like it was a serious tone yeah. for a movie with a guy in tights.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was really well done. Well put together. You had like the three very distinct. You had the Krypton piece, the Smallville piece and the Metropolis piece. And it was like perfect three acts there. And uh, again, that it's one like you said, you could watch with anybody. I could watch it. Probably every month, if I if I had the time.
0: Also, getting Marlon Brando goes low key into I think establishing the credibility for that film. You know, yes. having someone like that even play anything, it, almost in a way like Alec Guinness in Star Wars anchored the entire right. thing. He was the one that like like oh he's a part of this. Okay, he signed on to do this film.
1: Yeah, and what, d- let's not forget about Gene Hackman either. Still, to me, the best Lex Luthor that ever lived.
2: I agree. You're not. You don't like Jesse Eisenberg. I like. I like uh, Michael Rosenbaum. Is that his name? From Smallville. Yeah, he's. I like Tim. Yeah, I like Tim, but, uh, yeah, but. Yeah, but yeah, Gene. Hack, it's hard to beat Gene Hackman. Right. RTG loves the guy.
1: He does. All right, uh, Chad. What about your? Uh, what What movie would you like to talk about?
2: Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna take it back a few years, back to 1998, with a little film called Blade. Ah yes. Uh, a character created by Mark Wolfman and penciled by Gene Colan in 1973. It was his first appearance in the tomb of Dracula number 10. Uh, yeah, man, starring Wesley Snipes, Stephen Norrington directed it. Uh, David Gorey wrote it. I know that that kind of lead up to the film was strange because Wesley Snipes was trying to, he was trying to play black Panther at the time and uh, no one wanted to touch the character. They just didn't think it was marketable. Uh, somehow this vampire movie became marketable and it went from this uh silly movie where it was almost written as a almost as a farce like almost like it was a a play remember when uh was leslie nielsen did that dracula dead and loving it film (laughs) it was almost written like they wanted goyer to write it like that and he talked him out of it and then they tried to talk him into casting it with a white person and he talked him out of that as well So the movie went through some trials and tribulations before it finally got made. And when it did get made, it was absolutely gruesome and awesome.
1: Yeah. And it's kind of like a forgotten Marvel movie uh, by a lot of fans because it was predated,
0: you know, Iron Man and all all Spider-Man.
2: Yeah. I even predated
0: X-Men. It was even before X-Men. Yeah. And rated R, which was, you know, it's a bold
2: move. Yeah.
1: For a superhero movie, obviously you weren't, you know, You weren't marketing to kids. You didn't have, did they have blade toys? I think
2: they did. They probably
1: still did that. The only (laughs) thing that
0: I think maybe helped it is it is uh, well, did it come
2: after the matrix? It was post matrix, right? Matrix was 99. I believe. Look it up.
0: I may be wrong about that. Let me, let me look real
2: quick. We'll edit this out. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the the tone of the movie, it's, it's dark, um, but it's, it should be. You know, it's a movie about uh, vampires killing people and uh, one half vampire who walks during the day and kills vampires at night. Like it, it shouldn't be this happy-go-lucky film where a guy is walking around with a flower in one pocket and a freaking samurai sword you know, on his back. <laughs> so the film, it, it was written to be dark. It was directed by Stephen Norrington, who's done dark shit in the past. And Wesley Snipes is a legitimate badass who can do action. We've seen him do action. He can do it. And he looks legitimate on screen. Unlike many of the comic book heroes today. Oh. All right. So blade was 98 matrix was
0: 99. So yeah, they were, yes. it, it did even predate the matrix.
1: And you got Chris Christopherson in there. Steven Dorf is in this one. I mean, a, a good supporting cast around
2: Wesley Snipes. Of course. And it, and it, you know, they have, um, I've heard that the, the original cut was much longer uh, Than what we got in the theatrical release, which isn't new to you know to, to film, but that the original cut was not getting good reviews from from testers, so uh, they cut a bunch of stuff out. They added a little bit of stuff at the end. The the, the sword fight that you see at the end was added um, after the fact. They went back and reshot some scenes, so they they definitely tinkered with it a bit from the original kind of vision to what we got. But I think that what we got. You know, we got multiple sequels after, we got a television series after, so it obviously worked for what they were going for.
1: And it's coming back, as we mentioned earlier. So It is,
2: yeah. It's exciting.
1: Ryan Campbell, what you got for us?
0: Well, I'm going to take you guys forward a little bit, to 2002. uh, And, Brain, as you had mentioned, what Superman was to you, uh, this was kind of the same for me, which was Spider-Man. Growing up, as I mentioned, 90s kids, we one of the reasons Marvel is enjoying the success it's having now and it did is in a large part due to the Fox Saturday morning cartoon shows they had going with X-Men and Spider-Man. And and I was just drawn to Spider-Man. That was just my thing. So, And never did I consider whether it be even at the age I was not knowing the limitations of film and and effects and things like that, that there would ever be a chance that they could ever do Spider-Man, a live action film. And that first shot, I think from early on when they were doing it, where he just swings and he comes around the corner of a New York building, like that was probably the closest I can compare to when the Superman scene fly on screen was seeing him swing by a building and people from the street view and him just swing and keep on going. Like that was just amazing to me. So um, the, the movie somewhat holds up. I mean, I think with what we expect now from a superhero movie, uh it it can be a little sometimes a little cheesy that has a little bit of sam Raimi kind of cheese to it um and it's sometimes not willing to go places like the green goblin character in the costume and all that whereas i think now marvel is more willing to to just go straight on what it looks like in the comic book and and just trust it um but just seeing spider-man on on film and toby mcguire who you know again not who you would choose but that's kind of peter parker so it was kind of perfect. I just i spider-man's probably my favorite superhero and and that film you know at that age when i was i think i was in the sixth grade at the time uh or somewhere around there um that just you know captivated my imagination i I love that movie
1: and it had the macho man randy savage it sure did yeah so i mean he's ready that was i mean you know going to the the theater to see that and seeing macho man up on the big screen was pretty cool um, and it, you know, it's just odd, you know, you think about it like 2002 now, obviously that's quite some time, but that it took that long to, for Spider-Man to make it on the, on the screen. Cause obviously yeah. he's Marvel's, you know, he's Marvel's Superman. He's Marvel's biggest guy. um And obviously it, it almost was going to be one of your favorites of all time. Chad, Michael Dudikoff was almost going to be Spider-Man. Oh my
2: gosh. Can you imagine that? How, how would you hide that great hair under a mask? I just don't think you could, you could do it. He was just a few years too late. <laughs> he was. And I, I almost, I think it's a great choice. I almost had uh, said Spider-Man two uh, because yeah, which uh, I, I think
1: I, is actually
0: better than this first. I, I would say, yeah, it's yeah. the better film, but the whole, like, like I said, so much of it, just the, the sheer awe factor of it, it being it, yeah. a real thing and seeing it on screen and, you know, everything like that is, was that, but yeah, I would say Spider-Man two is, is the superior film of, of those that, yeah. that era
2: and I think that the, another thing that works for like you said, it's got some of that Sam Raimi cheese. And I think it works for the film and for the character, especially because, you know, if you go back through Spider-Man, you know, for a long period of his history, uh, ex- except for maybe a little bit of that attitude nineties era where he had the, a little bit more to the McFarlane era, the McFarlane <laughs> era. He, he always had the, the quips, the jokes, and he was, I don't know. He was just more fun loving and stuff. And, uh, but with a lot of heart. And I think that the Sam Raimi with his style, it really fit well. And it told me McGuire, like he, he's kind of perfect for it, I guess.
0: Yeah. And, and like, as you mentioned, you know, to the point that Marvel didn't even touch it now we've, we've done the uncle Ben thing to death, but I think that movie nailed it and probably did it as good. Like that's the quick yeah. essential uncle Ben story is the way that, that they did that.
1: Well, I want to bring up, since we're talking Spider-Man, one of my favorites was actually 2017 Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, This has been probably my most recent favorite uh, of of the superhero movies. One of the things I liked about it was, you know, the high school thing. Tom Holland looks like he's in high school. He still looks like he's in high school right now. (laughs) It it seemed more believable. I like that they did not have the origin story because it's like at this point, How many Spider-Man movies have we had? If you're going into a Spider-Man movie and don't know that he was bit by a radioactive spider, get the hell out. I mean, we, we have beat this thing to death.
0: Well, that's one of the best things about it too, is they, they cover themselves that they never really gave it. So like that entire origin story, you could even have uncle Ben and everything and it still works without us needing to know it. It's not like they ever really gave us his origin story and made it different. So I know some people don't like that, you know, Uh, Tony Stark has kind of taken that Uncle Ben kind of role of being a mentor. But, you know, we could still have that Uncle Ben that kind of started Peter on this journey and kind of instilled that in him. And then, of course, at being a teenager, other heroes are going to kind of bring him up. So I think it all still works. And like you said, one of my favorite things and one of the things I loved about the animated series was high school Peter. And for some reason, all the other movies could not wait to get him out of high school right like within the first act he's graduating and we're on to right. everything else And so the fact that that marvel's been very careful to as of now keep him in high school i think is is uh, well another one of the reasons you know that tom holland era of spider-man's one of my favorites
2: i think it's partially because you don't want to have a child fighting people and also like the romantic part of it uh it's kind of odd to watch again, a 16 17 year old kid uh, beating up grown men and making out with chicks.
0: I mean, I can see where back in 2002, they might've thought that, but I think, like I said, Marvel's done such a good job of now they can, they can do whatever. I mean, they literally had a tree. Once you've had Rocket and Groot on screen, you can do whatever you want now <laughs> and you don't have to worry about if people are going to buy it or not. So I think that's that's kind of giving them a license to keep him in high school.
1: I also love the uh, choice of music that they used in uh, in this film. Uh, We had the English beat "Save It for Later" and one of my all-time favorite songs, "Space Age Love Song," "Flock of Seagulls." That's eighties music (laughs) right there, and I love that. When those things came in the theater, I wanted to get up and uh, get jiggy with it. If
2: you Oh my god,
1: that's right. But the other big thing about this movie is Michael Keaton, Vulture. I mean, he was fantastic as a villain.
0: Well, and he wasn't really doing a lot of acting at this point. I think he'd already done Birdman, so this was post-Birdman. But um, he'd been kind of quiet on the acting front for a while. So that was a big get at the time, especially with the whole Sony, Disney. We don't know where the lines are blurry and what means what. Uh, Again, he brought a lot of credibility to the role because, again, not a lot of people – Tom Holland was not Tom Holland that we have now at the time. Um, So, he, yeah, he was kind of the elder statesman that had to really – kind of sell that movie and again he he did an awesome job most people keep him up there as one of the top marvel villains
2: yep and as a you know to bring it back full circle even we had the conversation earlier about comic book characters now kind of going into the action world tom holland is playing the uh the main character in uncharted i believe yes that's right okay so small person playing indiana jones got it (laughs) pretty much and anyway, Nathan Drake is kind
0: of the plucky, he's not exactly like beefcake. I mean, you couldn't—that's another role that you couldn't put like you know a giant action star in it because part of his whole charm in the video games is he's getting his ass kicked and he's getting beaten up and he's flying through walls.
2: And that's—he's right. kind of the, the
0: somewhat like Indiana-like, but right. almost even less suave than in Indiana, and more like a buffoon.
2: Right? I feel like for for a decade they were begging for Nathan Fillion to play that role. Oh, yeah, again, kind of like the Dudikoff thing.
0: And just a few years too late, it wouldn't quite work now.
2: Right. Um, I I would
0: love for them to work some way to have him be in there as like an Easter egg, or I don't even care if he's just working in a Moroccan you know, rug shop or something. I don't know. Find a way to throw him in the background or something.
2: You think you would waste Nathan Fillion, uh, his acting skills as an Easter egg? Like you just put him as an egg? I know some people wanted him to
0: be Sully, but uh, that didn't (laughs) happen either. So we'll, I'll take what I can get. They just find a way it. to put them in there.
1: <laughs> All right, Chad, you got another movie for us?
2: I do, and you know this was a great era, and in, in, in film and in action movies, and I'm I'm going to hang around in the in the '90s. I'm going to go early '90s for this one. '94, a little film called The Crow, starring uh, Brandon Lee. Uh, yeah, originally created by James O'Barr and, and published by Caliber Comics in '89. In um just like uh you know blade was dark the crow is darker like it, it yes. doesn't get much darker as a comic book film than the crow and just i mean a gut-wrenching story about a character who's uh, who's killed along with his his wife uh or the fiance was she his fiance
1: yes they were they were engaged to be engaged. married they did not get yeah. married yet. Yeah.
2: okay so they killed alongside his fiance on devil's night and just kind of coming back from the dead and, and getting that revenge. You, you love a good revenge movie and so do I. So this movie, just like when it came out, I remember being floored by it and loving it to death. And and the fact that there's so much tragedy that's involved with the, the making of the film, it makes it that much better to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's definitely the whole art imitates life thing going on here um, since Brandon, uh, Brandon Lee, the star of it passed away while they were shooting this movie um, yeah, it, it, it's one of those ones. And I think that's part of what makes it tough. You know, I talked about Superman. I could watch that every month. I have to kind of mentally prepare myself to watch the crow if I'm going to watch it, because it's heavy when you, you know, when you just think about the the real life behind it.
2: Yeah. And it's a kind of film where, you know, it had multiple sequels, nothing ever felt like a proper sequel to it. Um, and they even had a TV series starring Mark D'Casco. it's one of our favorites. Um, and it was more based on the first film with Eric Draven character, uh, but even it kind of missed. But uh, yeah, this this film, I mean, it, it, it follows the story while also kind of adding a little bit to it. Um, and I think that part of that is Brandon Lee's abilities as a, as a martial artist, and as an action guy. But it's just so good. And, and he's he's such a powerful performance in it, as an actor who had never really delivered something like that before. So it really showed his range. And, well, and, and, you know, and I
1: think it's a movie he really wanted to do. So it oh, was, it 100%. definitely was, a, it was a passion project for him. So yeah, he put it all, his heart, his whole heart into that film and it definitely shows. Um, and a, another, another thing you want to talk about there is the bad guys. I mean, Michael Wincott, I mean, I don't know what it is about Detroit and bad guys, but they have the baddest of the bad in the action movie world.
2: Yeah. I think the setting for that film is perfect because, you know, the city looked it looked pretty grim as it was. And, and like you said, they had such a great rogues gallery uh, with, you know, Ten Ten and, and uh fun boy and all these guys that Fire you know, it
0: up. Fire we, we <laughs>
2: get, we get just enough of them. in the few scenes that they're involved in early in the film to hate them. Yep. There's, there's not a single one of the bad guys that, that you like secretly like and rare. That's pretty rare in these kinds of movies. Usually there's like a bad guy. Like, Oh man, I hope this guy like, Somehow slips away, or he has a cool scene in it. But every one of these guys, you have to hate, just for what they are and what they do in the film. So I think that they 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 get that across pretty early on, and you're just begging for Brandon Lee to kill these people.
0: Yeah, if you go back to Ryan Campbell around this time, you know, where we're we're skateboarding in our Code jeans, and we've nice. got that little bit of a, of a suburban goth phase going on, where we're not like super goth, but because we, we live in the suburbs and we're we're good white kids. Uh, but, you know, we we, we like staying on WCW, coming down from the rafters, and every and just about every weekend we would curl up and, and watch The Crow. That was just about a, a weekend ritual for me and my friend uh, around this time. All right, Ryan, do you have a, another movie you want to talk about? I do. So I'm going to go back to Marvel just because this being an action-themed podcast, an action-themed website, and I thought of the MCU – you know, uh, uh, the Disney MCU catalog, what's the best probably pure action film? And I had to go with, some people say this is the best one, period, but I definitely think it's the best action-wise, is Captain America Winter Soldier. Um, I think it has the best fight choreography. It has some really good fight choreography. It was the first, stupid dogs, shut up we love dogs at bulletproof action by the way i don't know i know they won't quit fighting over here they're having their own fight it's been pretty entertaining but um it, it was the first one at the russo brothers that uh, i think they kind of really put marvel on track so obviously kevin feige is kind of the the grand overlord that kind of lays out all the pieces but i mean before they came in the russo brothers like iron man 2 was okay iron man 3 got mixed you know they had the hulk movie and some of the other ones and the first captain america was was good but like nobody was really blown away by it and when the russo brothers came in and they, they ended up doing civil war which kind of fixed the avengers timeline and then of course they did infinity war and of course they did endgame um they kind of set everything on in motion here uh it really was a, the best movie for cap it took him from kind of the corny man out of time that he is in the first movie and made him like a badass like there's you know in the first movie, he's jumping out of planes with a parachute, and he literally the first shot of this movie is jumping out of a plane into the ocean with nothing. You know, like it really put him on track. He's still a little bit out of time as he's got his notebook and he's kind of keeping things in track of what he needs to catch up on. But it, it made Cap a badass. It had some great fight scenes, some great action. Had the whole kind of spy thing. Robert Redford comes in and and plays the the villain well. Um, I think it, it was just the total package. It's probably the best action if you're just for action fans of the MCU. Um, I just really, really love this movie. Yeah, and part of it's shot here in
1: in my own hometown of Cleveland.
0: Blech. Okay.
2: The Mistake by the Lake. I'm just kidding. I love Cleveland. That's
1: just that's th- cool. just thought I'd throw that in there.
2: Chad, your thoughts? I think it's a great movie. It's, it's probably my favorite MCU. Uh, it, was that with whatever th- those films that are all in that same continuity? It's my favorite yeah. one of them. Uh, I actually saw it in theaters. It's one of the probably one of the last ones I've seen in theaters as far as the Marvel films go. And the action's phenomenal. I love the spy deal. Uh, Robert Redford's great. He's, he's the other guy that, like we talked about Marlon Brando Um, he's the one that brings legitimacy to this film and in a big way, but there, I mean, when you think about these films, you all, you usually find some problems in the villains, the Marvel movies always had problems with villains. You think about like Iron Man two and stuff like Iron Man one, even Iron Man two, the villains always kind of shitty, but winter soldier, there's so much going on with the, the, with the, with the story itself, with, with Captain America and dealing with like uh, shield and dealing with, uh, what's the other organization?
0: Hydra, 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 all Hydra, all that
2: stuff. So there's just like so much happening that you never even have a chance to like find anything wrong with the film. So to me, it's my favorite. Excellent choice
1: well and i would like to bring something up because my next movie you you said uh, nobody was blown away by the first captain america i Damn. disagree with you ryan campbell i love that <laughs> one. You. oh it was good yeah i love no and one of the things i think i like about it is because at this point there was a lot of superhero stuff out there this one taking it back to the world war ii time made it feel so much different than anything else that was out there i mean when you have the nazis as your bad guys i mean there's no better bad guys than the Nazis. That's Jared right, Cruz. I know you. I know you believe that.
2: I absolutely believe that, and it, you don't have to like tell me they're bad because I already know they're bad. So right. you could save yourself five minutes of exposition there.
0: And plus, yeah, another get, another thing where there's no anti heroes. You know, they're, they're Nazis. They all need to die. <laughs> right.
1: And you got yeah, yeah. It's it's as black and white as can be. Um, and you got Red Skull who was excellent in there. You got Tommy Lee Jones. Anytime you throw him in there, it's a good time.
2: Yeah and you get the, it's a great origin film it was Joe Johnson I believe directed it um he did the rocketeer years ago which is amazing and he uh, he he takes the origin story you know they could have like really screwed up the whole special effects with with Ka- skinny cap S- skinny steve rogers but even that looked fine um I don't know it's just like the movie has so much going for it uh, it really gets you in the feels yeah and it's got great action in it
0: I would say this too, and I didn't dive into this too much in my Winter Soldier or uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier coverage. But uh, the more I've thought about it, and I, I mentioned it a little bit, but that that movie is made better by everything that's happened with Cap and and even that series because so much of it is, I mean the, the super the the super soldier serum that's always fun to say, has kind of been mass produced. There's there's when there's super soldiers running around all over the place, and one of the key things that that show kind of goes at, and Zemo even mentions this. Uh, is how, you know, it, it amplifies what you are. And Zemo mentioned, There's he's talking about he wants to kill all super soldiers. And, you know, I think Sam brings up, well, what about Steve Rogers? And he says, well, there's no one like Steve Rogers. And I, I think the idea that, you know, who Cap is, who's who's worthy of holding Thor's hammer, who does all these things, you know, he's not much different than these thugs that got the serum as well. It all goes back to that first movie, And, you know, when he's sitting there with the scientist and he says, you know, there's a lot of great soldiers, you you know, you need to stay a good person. And I I think that that movie is just made better with with everything they've done since and to kind of amplify and, and, you know, build up
2: this idol of who Steve Rogers is.
1: Chad Cruz, do you have another movie for us?
2: I do. And I was very, very close to to using the Albert Pune directed Captain America (laughs) from the early 90s. But instead, I went with this film. Um, another early 90s film came out in uh, 94 created by Mike Richardson and Mark Verheiden it was originally a three part story in Dark Horse Comics called Time Cop, A Man Out of Time yes I'm talking about the film Time Cop Ah, you didn't know it was a comic book? it absolutely was and it starred Max Walker who is the star of the film, Jean-Claude Van Damme
1: yeah, another one of the many films where we get two Jean Claudes on screen at the same time.
2: Double Jean Claude is better than like single Jean Claude for sure. But but if you have no Jean Claude, I mean, come on, it's way better.
1: One of the things I always remember is you know this, you can't occupy the same space. So if you, the two Van Dams couldn't touch, and that becomes such a big part at the end with uh, Ron Silver who. Was an excellent, excellent villain as a uh, crooked politician, or I guess I should just say politician. Uh,
2: right.
1: You know, it, that, yeah, that is one of Van Damme's best. Certainly, his best, probably from the the second leg of his career.
2: Yeah, Ron Silver added so much to that film um, as a villain, and and so so many times villains have been bad for for superhero movies or comic book movies. And again, like you were talking about a politician, like we already assume that politicians are crooked, right. so they don't have to spend a whole lot of time telling us he's crooked. He just is. And the whole, you know, time travel thing, like that could be a silly gimmick or it could be a gimmick that, that, that makes sense. Oh, people are going back in time and stealing money or investing to make themselves super rich or to make make themselves super rich so they can get super powerful. Like all that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like there's nobody going back in time to punch Hitler in the face uh, or, or stuff like that. But, or to like, you know, sleep with Cleopatra, but there's, there's enough in it that it doesn't make it silly while still making it like somewhat believable for a time travel movie.
1: I would like to point out if you would like to see a movie where somebody punches Hitler in the face, check out zone troopers.
2: Ooh, just, yes. just an
1: aside. Ryan Campbell, your thoughts on time cop
0: uh just kind of what you were touching on with with John Claude Van Damme that in his kind of this is in that upper tick if we're looking at his career like a stock he had kind of hit his all-time high and then yeah. he had kind of maybe kind of turned down and things were you know he needed a correction he needed that thing that was going to turn things around and whether this is the movie that did it or not but it was definitely in that group that really kind of kickstarted that second leg of his career um and kind of got things back on track
1: this was his biggest box office hit was Time Cop for Van Damme. So this was like the peak peak Van Damme as far as being a box office draw.
2: And another film that got multiple sequels that most people didn't watch.
1: Yeah, it had a short-lived TV series. And uh, yeah, you actually covered the uh, the sequel, which had Jason Scott Lee. in
2: the, Jason in the Scott Lee, and it was and, decent. Uh,
1: Thomas Ian Griffith, I believe, was, was yeah. the villain in there. Yeah.
2: What, what do you call him?
1: Oh, the Notorious T.I.G.?
2: Oh, that's it. A- yeah,
1: that's right.
0: All right, Ryan Campbell, you have another one for us. I've got a few, um, but I'm going to go pretty off the book here, and it's kind of corny, but it's obviously not one of my favorite superhero movies. But you know, we could sit here all day and just name like MCU movies and things like that. But I'm going to go kind of off the books here with Sky High. So I don't
1: even know what that is.
0: Yeah, is that, it's is that the Kurt Kurt Russell? Movie? That's the Kurt Russell kids okay. movie from 2005. Um, and so there's this obsession now you know, as we've kind of milked everything about superheroes dry that we're never, there's this big push of, okay, so what would the rest of the world look like in the, in a superhero world? We've got shows now, you know, I've covered my hero academia. We've covered other shows, uh, the boys, you know, that kind of look at things like uh, invincibles in there, which again, to plug that I did the, uh, you should be watching article online, but the the season finale for season one was this past week. If you are any fan of hero shows at all, or you like the, you know, DC, um, cartoon shows that were going on, check out Invincible. The season finale was absolutely bonkers. But anyway, back to Sky High. Um, you know, We had this obsession with, well, what would it be like if heroes started marrying each other and they had kids? What would those kids be like? What would it be like to be the kid of a superhero? We've got all kinds of shows exploring that, but they did this way back in 2005. And yes, it's a kid's movie. And yes, it's corny, but uh, it's it's super enjoyable. And I remember at the time it being kind of a guilty pleasure. Anytime it was on you know, TV, I would watch it but Kurt Russell plays essentially, you know, the top tier hero, the Superman, you know, cut type. Um, And his son goes to this high school and he doesn't have any powers. And eventually they show up in the school. And now all of a sudden he goes from being the loser kid to the most popular kid. And it's kind of a, uh, you know, high school comedy with some superhero stuff and Kurt Russell being over the top corny. Uh, It's just, you know, uh, it's an enjoyable, fun kind of movie. And, it was kind of ahead of its time with how we kind of look at this extended world of superheroes that, that they would have to live in. Chad, and
1: have you ever seen that sky high? Yeah,
2: it has been many years since I've seen it, but I, I do remember watching it and, and enjoying it. Uh, I love Kurt Russell. Who, who played his wife in this? Do you remember? Uh, Kelly Preston. Kelly Preston. Okay. I, rem- I remember, like it, you, you know, when you see Kurt Russell and Kelly Preston, like they look like it, the Incredibles is sky high essentially uh, if I remember correctly, but it was like, you know, you had like these prototypical heroes that you know, Superman and Wonder Woman basically as, as the parents. And, uh, and then it just kind of devolved into like this, you know, like you said, like a, a, a good teen movie that just so yeah, happened it, that all these people had powers and yeah, it was a but like it the
0: idea of like tiers of powers, like there, would would, in a world where there was all these super powered people, there would be some people that just had like somewhat loser powers. Like one of the kids can just turn into goop and like, okay, well, what really, what could you do with that? So they, they're the kind of the losers in the school and they have to go to like sidekick class and all these other kinds of things. And (laughs) It's all stuff that we've kind of explored thoroughly now, but it, it was, you know, it was 2005. So this was even kind of pre MCU. Um, and you know, it just—it's an enjoyable film. If you can, if if you're like hardcore action guy, you're you know, you're probably not going to like it. But you know, if you're willing to, to sit down and, and and
2: go back in time to being a kid for a little bit, it's it's a fun, it's a, enjoyable. movie. it's it's kind of like the uh, the Fantastic Four's children grow up, go to high school.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit, a little bit, uh, like you said, Incredibles mixed mm-hmm. with like a Fantastic Four kind of. But but it's it's just the right amount of cheese, and and I always enjoyed watching it.
1: Okay, well, I have one final movie I wanted to bring up, and it is a big one. It is 1989's Batman. Mm. Um, this, I don't know if you guys would remember this. You probably wouldn't. You're probably too young, but this movie was huge. I mean, this movie owned 1989. You had people with Batman t-shirts on everywhere. This was uh, the, clearly the the number one movie of the year. Bat Dance by Prince was was number one on the billboard. Hot 100. I mean Bat, Batman was everything. and this really, you know kind of sparked all these other 90s movies that you brought up, Chad. this, this yeah. kind of did what was shockingly Superman didn't do is like this ushered in a bunch of superhero movies to come. Um, and again, once again, we got to talk about Michael Keaton and he might be the guy who played one of the best heroes and one of the best villains in two feuding uh, comic book companies, as a matter of fact.
2: <laughs> yeah, he, he seemed like uh, the choice that you wouldn't make for this role, I think at the time, especially because, you know, some of the films he had done beforehand, you know, like Mr. Mom and stuff like that, you wouldn't have thought of him as this uh, this crime fighting hero. Beetlejuice, uh, Be- Beetlejuice, right? <laughs> He's Beetlejuice. So, but I think that another another moment in time when uh, the content, like the, the the years of history, that the right actor for the role and the right director to bring that tone. Uh, you know, Tim Burton has done every every movie since then has been felt like Batman to me, um, and it's because that's like way he shoots films, the way he edits, and just like the way his his uh, like everything looks is strange and it, it fit really well for that Gotham feel. And it felt, it felt different while at the same time, like you recognize shit. So I don't know. That's good. I remember, I remember it. I was six years old and I remember having like a lunchbox, a Batman lunchbox.
1: All right. There was Batman cereal. I mean, there was, it was everywhere. Uh, 10 million copies of it sold when it hit VHS. So, I mean, this thing was, was everywhere, and a big it part a of cool movie- looking
0: VHS. I yeah, that's been really
2: cool.
1: And you know, we've talked about these these big time actors who anchor these films. I mean, Jack Nicholson as the Joker. It, it don't get much better than that.
2: Uh, Jack Palance.
1: Jack Palance, Kim Bassinger uh, as Vicky Vale. I mean, it was it was a great cast. But yeah, yeah, I mean, Jack Nicholson as the Joker. You know, he could steal the show easily.
2: Yeah. And you had the biggest recording artist in the world uh, lending his, his voice to the soundtrack. Right. So I
0: think for me that the biggest thing about it is to look at who, what Batman was as a character prior to that film. I mean, if you look at now, even how he changed in the comics, you know, as we were growing up and, and leading up to, you know, eventually what we would get with Christopher Nolan and, and Batfleck and all these other things, I mean, I, he, I think definitely Tim Burton's the one responsible for for setting Batman on the track of not just popularity, but, you know, who we think of now when we think of Batman. I think he had a huge part in that. Uh, to the point that it's kind of funny, there's a TikTok that's going around now, and and part of me thinks it's fake. I don't know. But it's this younger girl, and she's imagining what it would be like if Tim Burton made superhero movies, and then it says Batman, and it's drawn like, you know, uh, some of his animated movies, like uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, and all that, and then it usually is followed by some older person who's like, "Are you freaking serious?" Like, <laughs> so again, I don't know if it's real or not, but it's just funny that that's how long it's been that people are totally don't even know or don't know that he's the one that made that movie.
1: Yeah, I mean, prior to this, you know, it was Adam West Batman, like you talked yeah. about earlier. Jay. Right. I mean, it was real corny and cheesy and campy and. And yeah, bright colors, and you know, it was it was a comic book come to life. But yeah, Tim Burton took it and made it dark, and yeah, really paved the way, like you said, for
0: for the later uh, movies. Uh, I would say not even just the movies, even the comics in the '90s right. and leading up. Like he, com- the, the entire character was was pivoted almost. And I, I guess I don't I don't know exactly what uh, what he was like in the comics in '87 and '88, but it definitely seemed like that changes the entire trajectory of of kind of you know who we are not just in the movies but in the entire pulp culture exelon of who batman is
2: right and, and you have to remember after the 60s show you know there was like a a real kind of like you said there was a pivot away from the campiness denny o'neill and neil adams like throughout the 70s made he batman became dark like he he went dark and he was like solving like real crimes, not just fighting against you know the Riddler or whatever. He was fighting against like real criminals, and, and in '86, uh, Frank Miller did uh, Dark Knight Returns. So um, it it was happening in the comics, but the comics were were so small compared to you know the, the big time blockbuster film. So yeah, it's a good point that that Frank Miller comic with with
0: him. That's when he finally you know beat Superman. Essentially, mm-hmm. um, that was yeah, that was a big part of it too as well.
1: And, and obviously i think the success of, of batman and then batman returns we we got batman the animated series which is you know one of the the greatest superhero cartoons of all time and and obviously they shared a lot they shared the, the theme song and, and everything and tim burton he laid the groundwork
0: there for that and maybe it's because um uh, of my age group at the time but um yeah, that's definitely um, – Kevin Conroy, if I'm saying who is my Batman, it's Kevin Conroy, who vo- voiced him in the animated series and Justice League and uh, the Arkham series. He still voices Batman quite a bit in some of the animated stuff, not all of it, but some of it. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're asking – if you close your eyes and, and imagine who your Batman is, it's, it's probably Kevin Conroy, Batman, honestly, more than any other one.
1: All right, Chad, do you have anything else for us? Nope that's it all right chad's out Brian <laughs> Campbell, you have any others you want
0: to <laughs> um yeah just another spider-man film uh into the spider-verse which is uh probably one of the it's maybe the best spider-man film um but if you haven't checked it out i think it's still on netflix if, if, if you want to check it out but uh miles morales, miles morales story uh it's just a great spider-man story a great origin story it has some awesome an awesome music soundtrack the animation's different uh, you know, we got Nicolas Cage playing Spider-Man. It's it, it's just a it's a really good film. If you haven't checked it out because it's animated and, and you're kind of thrown off by that whole part,
2: definitely check it out.
0: It's it's a it's a great comic movie. and It's a really good Spider-Man story.
2: Okay, wait, sorry, Brian. I'm going the opposite real quick. Okay. I, I grew up uh, watching the Green Hornet serials from the late '30s, and and then you know later on, I remember uh, my cousin had some recording recorded VHS tapes of uh of the 60s show of mm-hmm. Green Hornet and Kato. So I, I love Green Hornet a, as a kid and even as a growing up I wish they would do the do the character right and make a good film about it. But um that was probably my favorite. So I, I've always liked the the pulpy, uh serial kind of shows and movies. So you know when you got in the Rocketeer and the Phantom and the shadow I love all that stuff. So those are always good revisits for me.
1: Yeah that's actually one I was surprised you did not mention was the Phantom. I know you're yeah. You're a fan of that one.
2: I am big time.
1: All right, guys. Well, I think we've had a great conversation, maybe even a super conversation here about superheroes and, and the movies that uh, have been based upon them. Uh, And again, everybody out there, if you hate them, come on now, you can hate them, but don't let, you know, let other people enjoy them. This whole Marvel has to die. It's a bit extreme. If you ask me,
2: it is. If you, if you don't like them, watch the ones that we mentioned, and then, if you still hate them, then you're an asshole. I think for some people, it is the idea though that you have to watch all of them, and some of that
0: is on Marvel. That there are definitely perks of watching all of them, <laughs> things that you pick up and get. But but yeah, come on, people, just you know, you know, let people like things. People are to
2: like things that you don't like. It's perfectly fine.
1: Right, and they can exist in the world with you, even if you don't like them. So so there is that.
2: Yeah, speaking of liking, check out our social media oh Ooh, very good a Chad segue.
1: Cruz what nice segue he's yes. learning
0: he's learning <laughs> I, don't know
2: that of, I don't know at, what they are but they, I episode know we have 40
1: some. we'd have this thing down he predicted <laughs> it so yeah you can like us on Facebook and Instagram bulletproof action and of course on Twitter we are at bulletproof pod and as we mentioned at the beginning uh our next one will be Judgment Night, episode 41. We will uh, be recording that here in the next few days, so that one will be good to go. Uh, and uh, some things coming up on the website, Chad, bulletproofaction.com. Actually, let's talk about something you just uh, reviewed. We're recording this. It, it went live just a few hours ago, Wrath of Man.
2: Yes, very a very intense, uh, brutal Jason Statham vehicle. He He's... His most Jason Statham i I've ever seen, which is which is a big a big uh, a big thing to say about a film because he's always plays Jason Statham, but in this film he's even more Jason Statham. Wow! It's like people it's like people thought he had toned down because he was doing like Fast and Furious movies, and he was like, no. Nah, hold, hold my beer. He's like, Hold my beer, watch me go full Statham. I'll say as few words as possible. I'll just stare at you and then beat the shit out of you you know and I, i'm I glad you
1: it. said that because i think that's somebody made the comparison to him and charles bronson in that movie
2: and which is perfect
1: you know, bronson was a man of few words but of, of many actions so
2: yes and i loved it it's a great film uh read my review on Bullproofaction.com. after you read it go watch the movie after you watch the movie uh send me a bunch of money through wow. Venmo. okay what
1: all right I, I don't know why they would want to do that but all right i mean
0: just shoot shoot your shot man hey this content this we're doing this for free man
2: come on you know
1: (laughs) and another one i know you've got coming up uh, chad that you that really just knocked your socks off so to speak what is it knuckle dust
2: knuckle dust yeah i don't i i had not heard of it until recently i saw it on one of the uh random great title it is a great title and it's a great movie uh it's a british film that came out last year um it's got it's very much that uh intersecting stories kind of situation, you know, I always, you know, it's a very Tarantino like, but it has that that same type of uh, structure to where there are, there are multiple things happening and you're trying to kind of put the pieces together all while there's an underground fight club happening where people are dying. Uh, so it's, it's got a lot of great elements to it. It was a really fun movie. It had a lot of humor in it, which you probably wouldn't think of, but uh, it reminded me of snatch mixed with a little Tarantino. So there you go.
1: And Ryan Campbell, you just started uh, the Bad Batch uh, coverage. What, what what are your thoughts so far on the the latest animated series from the Star Wars universe?
0: Oh, uh, they just keep on rolling. I guess you could say it's the spiritual successor. It pretty much starts right after the end of Clone Wars. Uh, but the first episode, you know, was really good. It was like seventy-two minutes long, which was nice. Uh, so we're rolling in that. And um, on a, on Wednesdays, so starting in June, uh, Loki starts up. So we'll have that on Wednesday and bad batch you know are run around on Friday so we'll be still pretty busy over here in the um,
2: big budget blockbuster area of, uh, <laughs> of bulletproof action when do you have time to eat during all these Disney viewings
0: right I know and they're and they're constantly <laughs> announcing more stuff it just announced some more stuff earlier this week so uh, I stay I stay pretty busy I guess Black uh, black widows coming up soon too so
1: it's a never-ending cycle over there at Disney plus
2: they're like oh. Canon but they have money.
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine if Canon was still around and had like oh. their own streaming service and just the so random, pumping
0: out just pumping
2: out stuff
1: show Kasugi sitcoms and whatnot <laughs> this I film mean, was made for $1,000.
0: I would love it. I would, there is an alternate timeline out there somewhere where that's a thing.
2: That would be awesome. Canon plus.
1: I'd be all about it. I'd be all about it. All right. Well, again, check it out. Bulletproofaction.com for everything we've talked about here. And uh, guys, thank you uh, for joining me for this conversation. And thank you all for listening. And as always, stay tuned for more of the Bulletproof Podcast.